Welcome to Tools in the Shed. It's a podcast powered by Cars Guide, ready to rip in a car stuff that has caught our eye this week. I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James, and with me is key contributor Chesto and Hello. staff journalist Tom. This week, we're looking at a tough ute that could be the future of Aussie performance motoring. We'll give you our thoughts on some new entrants to the Cars Guide garage this week, and we'll catch up with a man who's been hacked, backed, and slapped down in this week's Musquatch. So stay with us. Now, first of all, we'll turn to some feedback that we had on last week's episode. And in it, our, our key point of discussion was around JDM cars that we'd like to see uh, re-emerge, like the Mitsubishi Evo and a Celica or an RX Mazda or a 3000 GT Mitsubishi. And HSV Commodore said, I would love to see a new Lance Revolution. That'd be great. At this point, I'd even be really excited about a new Lancer sedan. So he's keen, <laughs> he's keen to see something different from Mitsubishi. I thought that was a good one. But um, David Burt, or as I like to call him, Bertie, uh, said Tung, Tung mentioned the Lancer Evo, but whatever happened to Mitsubishi's glorious two-door, in quote sports car heritage, remember the days when we had Starion, Scorpion and Cordia Turbo mm-hmm. all in the marketplace? And I've got to say I do. Um, and he reprised a TV commercial jingle, which, listen, Bertie, I have not been able to get this out of my head for the last 24 hours, so thank you very much. Um, it's a classic piece of Aussie, kind of Australiana, early 80s. We'll play a bit now of the TVC. So that is Laura Brannigan's work around Gloria being put to good use. Cordia, Cordia, don't you know, Sportia, Sportia. I cannot get that out of my head. Now um, it's stuck in everyone's head, JC. Exactly, exactly. So <laughs> thank you. But he, he also, he followed up, Bertie followed up with, um, he said, any insight as to why so many Japanese sports cars from the 90s and earlier, question mark, had a power output of 276 brake horsepower. Legislation, coincidence, or a Japanese numeral, uh, numeral uh, feng shui. And uh, uh, actually what it was, I was there at the time, and it was what's been referred to in retrospect as the Gentleman's Agreement, which is where various Japanese brands got together. And in the name, uh, kind of a manufacturer nod to road safety, um, they didn't want a horsepower war to get out of control. So uh, they agreed that everything would be limited to 276 horsepower, 206 kilowatts is what that equals. Um, and so the R32 uh, GTR, when it arrived, was rated at 276 brake horsepower. Um, the speedometer in Japan, 180 kilometres an hour. In fact, cars are speed limited to 180 kilometres an hour. In Aussie, it was 260 kilometres an hour, the speedo in Australian yeah, R32s. Yeah. And strangely, the R33, which had a, an upgraded version of the same engine, the R34, they all made 276 uh, horsepower as yeah. well. Uh, see, I, had, I had a feeling it might, might have been one of those, all created equal, but some are created more equal than others. Situation. Absolutely. <laughs> Funnily enough, the 3000 GT Mitsubishi was 276 horsepower. The V12 Toyota Century was 276 uh, horsepower. Yeah. But safety improved and, look, that whole charade ended in the early noughties and, and that kind of went away. 
people weren't so fussed about it, but it's it's called the Gentleman's Agreement, and it was a, a thing there for a good long while. Japanese um, manufacturers, Japanese. yeah, the Japanese manufacturers tend to have quite a few of those. It's not limited to just that. There's a lot yeah. of sort of um, you'll notice they they might commingle things, and uh, you know you can see the results of that with like Toyota eighty six and stuff is uh, yeah. not competing with each other but working together. It's really weird, you know. You, is- it, it's this sort of art of competing but not really that was a great word co-mingle did you did yeah. you say co-mingle yes that's awesome like you, i've never I'd like I've never you do with, oh it's like you do with garbage you know how you have recycling and co-mingled <laughs> i'm pretty sure uh co-mingles are illegal at the moment in australia um, <laughs> well it was course, in the 50s co- yeah co-mingling of course is made much easier in japan by the fact that toyota owns pretty much everything yeah including a sizable portion of subaru sizable portion of suzuki, suzuki sizable, Daihatsu, you, know, you name it you yeah. name it yeah absolutely right um, Jim Danik said, I find it ironic that we lament the return of JDM Classics and then talk about the BMW Z4 that lent many of its parts to the return of the Toyota Supra. Um, and both cars are contract built by Magna Steyr in Austria. So he's absolutely right. I think that's a, yep. that's a great point. Um, Jack Robertson, love the show, guys. I'd love to see the Honda S2000 make a return. Oh, the, um, maker. Oh, the F20C <laughs> was a brilliant engine, which had a red line, which is sky high, super enjoyable, possible alternative to the ever successful MX-5 with some real power. And yep. what a car it was, you know, 2.2 litres. The rev ceiling was 8,000 RPM, uh, rear wheel drive, open top car. I'm with him. I'd love to pretty, see uh, a new version of the ST1000. Pretty tight. happy too, memory serves, JC. It's a shame they don't have a factory-backed uh, S660 here because oh, uh, that's quite a cute little thing. And uh, I, very rarely you see a few grey imported ones rolling around Sydney, at least. So I always I love it when I see one. Uh, can I just throw just one more piece in here on this JDM thing? I know we all lament the decline of JDM cars, and rightfully so because they've vanished for so many years. But I'm firmly of the belief that they're, we're on a, the precipice of a comeback of JDM. I mean, if you think about cars like the uh, GR Yaris, the incoming GR Corolla, there's reports out of uh, Japan that the new WRX, WRX STI, Civic Type R, Super GRMN, uh, some of those will have almost 300 kilowatts of power. I mean, we are on the dawn of a, of a new era of performance in Japan, I think. Yeah, I think a Toyota is in the driving seat to a large degree in that yep. Akio uh, at the helm of the company has said, we're going to make more exciting cars. So that seems to have been a catalyst that stirred yeah. the market to to action on that kind of thing. Have they Sadly, had though, I think just tying it back to the beginning of the conversation um, with uh, Mitsubishi's positioning right now, you know, as part of their Renault-Nissan alliance whole deal, they've been positioned as sort of this SUV and commercial manufacturer rather than uh, anyone who's going to put out a sports car anytime soon. That, that, and, and mate, to be honest, even Nissan's in that boat. I, I've said this before, I know, but I think if Nissan didn't have the finishing touches almost complete on that 400Z, we probably wouldn't see it. We'll see it. Uh, and well, there's every it, chance that this will be the last one. It's a beautiful segue, Tom, because uh, Yamal Kumara Siri uh, said, hi, guys, would Nissan let Mitsubishi build a new uh, Evo um, or a 3000 GT? when Nissan already has the GTR, new Z car, and, you know, they only just got across the line by the skin of their teeth. Um, also, could the Celica share parts with the WRX? Um, it's not a rebadged, if not a rebadged WRX. Uh, there would be mutiny from the fans if that was the case. And I imagine he's pretty right. But there are rumours to that effect, JC, that um, yeah. in much the same way that the, the Yaris, the GR Yaris is supposed to feed some as yet unknown Subaru product, 
that uh, the WRX, the base level WRX may very well feed another Toyota product, which, you know, you'd have to say had a fair chance of being a Celica. Yeah, well, I think as well, um, you know, there's a chance, however slim, that they could do a badge engineering kind of deal and put a Mitsubishi badge on a 400Z. Who knows? You oh, know? oh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah, I never thought people would buy the Fiat Fremont, but uh, they have. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, but you make a good point, though, JC. Take the badge heritage out of the 400Z or, or the 370Z or whatever you, whatever it might be, yeah. Uh, and you, you lose something there, don't you? If you just stuck you that, if you stuck a Mitsubishi badge on it and called it something new, I'm not sure it'd fly. I don't think so either. But I mean, Dukuk, our old mate Dukuk says, "Yeah, thanks for bringing back the memories from virtual his virtual racing diaries." Yeah, so all those cars are very much in his sim racing history. Um, would love to see the new Celica, but if Toyota's so much on fire, how will they cope with the production of all these legends while also spitting out Suzuki siblings of the RAV4? And, of course, yeah. he's referring to the Suzuki Across, which yeah. is a mildly revised version of the RAV4 sold under Suzuki branding. And it's Very to your mild. point, Chester, that Toyota has its fingers in all of these different automotive brand pies around the place. He's Mate, probably 100%. right. They've got and, a lot of plate uh, spinning. This is probably another conversation for another time, but I think we are fast forwarding to a future in which Toyota is pretty much the only manufacturer on the planet. Because if you look at cars like the Yaris Cross, the Corolla Cross, then the RAV4 and, and onwards and upwards, new Land Cruiser coming, they are going to be so strong in every single segment true. in the next That's two or three true. years. It'll just be incredible. Yeah, it's true. I've got to say that Corolla Cross <laughs> looks like it was made to have a Suzuki badge on the front of it as well. Oh, I like it. Are you not a fan of the design? I think it looks pretty cool. Oh, I could take it or leave it. I think it but looks like a bit it. of an angry bulldog. It's got that kind of full face looking at you, a bit kind of um, aggressive, gnarly looking face to it. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a, an immediate fan of that one. Well, give it time. Give it time. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. You've got to give it time. Mate, now, like, uh, like fungi, it'll grow on you. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, Lofty Visions, a name we can all aspire to, says that he, he loves the show. Thank you very much, Lofty. Uh, ask us if we know whether the LDV T60 is still getting a V6 diesel. Um, and that was chat earlier this year. We ran a story theorising that by about now such an engine could indeed be arriving. Um, the same V6 that's used uh, by Jeep and some others, a VM Matori sourced um, unit. But our latest mail is no, that's not going to happen. And primarily, yeah. the theory being that it would make the vehicle too expensive, that you would have a car that would be up in the 46, 47K range. Um, and for a brand like LDV, that, that wouldn't be sustainable. So our latest news is that that's not a thing. That's not a happening thing at this point. Yeah, but a bit of mixed reports there, I think. Um, we, we had really solid mail on the ground in Australia that it was happening, but uh, yeah. LDV is certainly a, a long way from confirming it. But yeah. remember, there is another LDV coming, one that's been um, teased now. And in fact, you'll find this, this story on carsguide.com.au, the LDV T70. Yep. Um, uh, so who knows what, what power plant that will get. But I imagine right. you, you won't see it in a T60 anytime soon. I think I think it was an Australian person uh, who shall remain unnamed saying, you know, we, you can expect a T60 with more cylinders. Yeah. Um, and whether they were actually speaking out of school and whether that was based on any um, actual facts, um, it would seem that was more aspirational than, than real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Or or just one of those, you know, expect the unexpected. Could be anything. <laughs> <laughs> now, the other one we touched on was the Ineos Grenadier, um, a, a pretty close to most people's eyes reimagining of the outgoing Land Rover Defender. Um, and Mohammed Jassim says the Grenadier looks fun and functional. However, having a BMW engine is a recipe for disaster. His words, not mine. Thanks, guys. Best podcast. Keep them coming. So uh, thank you very much, Mohammed. And, and Hammer Rocks finishes us off with saying, I'm no intellectual property rights lawyer, but isn't Ineos breaking or infringing on any copyright laws with its Grenadier? The Ineos Grenadier can't be mistaken for anything but a Land Rover Defender. Reminds me of the Chinese car maker Zhangling Motorland Wind X7, a copycat yeah, yeah, yeah. of the Range Rover Evoque, which Land Rover sued for and won. Or yep. do copyrights only apply for current models? It's a really good question. I think there would be some residual benefit that would flow to Land Rover in that shape yeah. of Defender, and they would have every yep. right to have a go at Ineos if they wanted to. But like Hammer, I'm no um, copyright lawyer. We could get some feedback from people in our audience um, if they are. But uh, the, I remember, I do remember writing a caption for a certain Aussie motor magazine when that land wind was a prospect for coming to Australia, but it failed at safety um, tests. And I do remember the caption, wind won't pass, uh, was the one <laughs> that I was, I was very proud. I was very proud to apply to that uh, photograph. So it, it never made it to Australia, but it was a brazen copy of the Evoke, that's for sure. <laughs> Two very quick things. We've done a lot of stories on the Chinese knockoffs, and there are some absolute corkers out there. But to my knowledge, yep. that land win is the only one that was successfully prosecuted. Um, yes. And in fact, it was I temporarily right. removed from sale from memory. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. if anyone's bored, in fact, we might even be able to pop up a photo for you. Google the uh, Mahindra Thar, T H A R, which is an absolute dead ringer for the Jeep Wrangler. Um, always right. has been, yes. and, and, yes. and that's yes. been an on, ongoing court battle for years right. and part of the reason they won't sell that vehicle here in Australia. Okay. Does it, Chesto, have the seven bars in the grill and all of those kind of signature it, elements of the Jeep or have they gone? does. Okay. Except they've got six. I've just counted them. Six. six. Okay. Well, that's I a have a feeling, though. No, I take it back. They've got, they've got seven. Sorry, poor seven counting on my behalf. Yeah. There'd be more than just copyright issues behind that one. I think it's uh, not the safest vehicle you might find. <laughs> No, That's I think true. they were intending it to be a uh, a farm vehicle, like a yeah. uh, not to be road registered, essentially. But uh, okay, mate, the, the the resemblance is uncanny, shall we say? I see. All right. Well, thank you for all that feedback. It's always very much appreciated. We're going to move on to our main topic of discussion, Chester. I'll ask you to take the lead because sure. you were the author of a story during the week um, that put it put a very enticing prospect of a performance Navara, but not in an off-road sense, in a slightly different way. It opens up a whole discussion around where utes might go. Yeah, so we were talking to uh, Nissan Australian boss Stephen Lester about you know life in general, but mostly focused on the Navara. Um, where, where to from here? We know that a new Navara, of course, was teased at the end of Nissan's financial reporting YouTube video, same place that they teased the 400Z and other cars. Uh, so we know that a new one's coming, or at least a facelifted one is coming, which led us to the question of sort of where to from here. We know they've got the Warrior in Australia, which is that kind of off-road focused vehicle that they've uh, that sort of has been at least partly manufactured here in Australia in terms of suspension, ride and handling, etc. But it does leave a hole in the market in Nissan's point of view for a road-focused performance ute. Yes. And actually, when I was talking to him, he called out 
the old Utes from Commodore and Ford, those kind of low-riding, V8-powered sort of performance Utes that had no chance of ever going anywhere near a a gravel patch or or, or up a muddy hill. They were purely road-focused vehicles. His argument was there is a whole segment of the community that's currently uncatered for, and that's who he would like to talk to with a new Nissan Navara-badged V8-powered Ute. Yes, and it would be a Nismo, or, or it, it could it could well be. It could well be a Nismo. Now, I, I should preface this by saying this is what Nissan Australia is asking for. They've got their hand up. They've, yeah. They have flown to Japan. They're flying back to Japan to talk to them about producing this kind of vehicle for them. But as yeah. it stands right now, there, of course, is no plan in place to actually build the thing. But right. I, I, the, the most fascinating point for me was that what happened to all those people? What happened to those people who sure. were buying Maloos yes. and those kind of things? Who, yeah. How are they being serviced now with, with Ranger Raptors? Yes. Well, it's a bit like mm. where do you turn your gaze when what you wanted is just no longer available? And yeah. if you want to buy a new vehicle, I remember someone talking about, oh, everybody wore flares in the 70s. Yeah, that's because they were the only pants you could buy. <laughs> there, weren't, there, weren't, there wasn't any other type. So if you if you wanted straight leg pants, sorry, you're out of luck. So yeah. if you want a V8, brand new V8 Ute that's for road use, mm, uh, pretty short supply at the moment. So it is a an... niche that looks to be, you know, open for the filling, as it were. I think there's an element of that, isn't there? It's just that, like, it's not a vehicle of the times. Like, it's we've moved on from there, and it's yeah. sort of like sedans, you know? Like, the people who might once have bought a Maloo now just buy a 4x4 diesel dual cab, maybe, you know? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I've, I've watched... Um, we've got some young blokes in uh, the street where I live, and he's got his friends. They've all got roughly 10-year-old dual cab utes um, with the big bull bar, the lights. They've even got the radio masts the sports bar at the back. One fellow's got the uh, RM Williams Longhorn kind of stick on the back. This is in the suburbs of Sydney. These, these yeah, they're not a big red. Do, they do not go out to, to, to big sky country, let me tell you. No. So I suppose it's just trying to acquire a certain image, but it's it's like 90 degrees over this way. It's a, it's a different kind of macho-ness, you know? And, and to, to further to what Tom said, I think it goes to prove the point that the people who were buying those cars, the Maloos and, 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 and your SSV red lines, et cetera, weren't buying them necessarily because of their straight line performance. They were buying them because of the image that those cars gave them. Sure. And so when that image shifted to cars like the Ranger Raptor, which really fundamentally, apart from the tray on the back, couldn't be more different from a Maloo, really, in terms yeah. of the way they drive, the capabilities, the way they steer. But when yeah. those cars became the cool cars, the, the, I guess the focus just shifted to there. That image just shifted yes. to a different a different make, you know? Yes. And, I mean, I know you theorised in the story, uh, Chesto, that Nissan has a V8 that they yeah. could drop in the Navara. It's already in the patrol. Um, do that ever. So it's not beyond the bounds of reason that this could happen. Um, if you play with the Lego components, you know, to, to make the Absolutely. thing happen. And Nismo would be just the right kind of vehicle, pardon the pun, uh, for, for that kind of development to go through. What are we imagining here? Like low rider, rear wheel drive, bit of a fat body kit on it. Yeah. Well, he, uh, he actually used the term, you know, all those people who used to hoon them up. So, um, <laughs> so but, uh, but look, you know what? From my perspective, when when uh, Ram said they were going to bring out the fifteen hundred, there was no market for that car. Like True. really, there was fundamentally True. no space in Australia for a jumbo truck. Now it seems to be the only spaces where e- everyone's trying to get bigger mm. and bigger and bigger. Yes. Same with this. As it stands right now, there is no official market for a V eight powered street focused performance unit. 
But who, that's yeah. not to say you can't create one. Build it and they will come, JC. That's so true. I mean, um, your investigations over time around all the brands that have been looking over their shoulder at Ram and going, oh, God, you know, that, that's a relatively small part of the market, but, gee, it must be profitable. It would be great to have a chunk of that. Yeah, um, absolutely. With your Nissan Titans, your Ford F-150s, you know, your Chevy Silverados, on it goes. People are chipping away at it, but no one's really found a way to embrace it in a, in a higher volume way and, and kind of give um, Ram uh, some competition. Yeah, I think poor old Nissan's sort of uh, had a rough rough one on this now that the titans confirmed to be not coming and all the rest of it yes yes well not, but i think not coming if... in right hand drive from factory that's 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 what we know so far <laughs> but but then neither does the ram either you know so uh that doesn't entirely rule it out but i would suggest it's looking less likely than it was uh, a few months ago but be that as it may i i would say um I would not be shocked if in the next few months uh, Ford confirmed right-hand drive production right. of the F-150. For that. Well, that Rouge plant where the F-150 is produced in the States, it's Ford's oldest um, and it is an impressive beast that mm -hmm. is able to fine-tune goodness knows how many different variants and trim levels and whatever, and you'd think once it's engineered, being able to just dial right-hand drive into that equation wouldn't yeah. be uh, um, a massive Everest to climb. It would be a little mound in the road, you know, to get on top of. I agree. And can we all just, speaking of uh, right-hand drive and left-hand drive, can we just have a brief moment of silence for the Bronco? Gee, it looks cool, that car. I can't believe Ford's not making a play to it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a problem. So and I stand by my comments that I've made that the uh, Bronco Sport is basically just a Freelander 3. Wow. wow. All right. That, we're, we're just, can you just put the lid back on that can of worms or just let them kind of wriggle all over the floor? Um, but I, I think if, if Nissan, in short, was able to, to do a, you know, socially distanced uh, diplomatic mission to continue that pitch to try, they would own it. They would have first mover advantage. And I think it would be pretty massive. And you'd yep. be drawing people from the off-road lift kit you know, image-conscious off-roaders as well as your former Malou and Falcon V8 kind of youth yep. buyers, and you would really have something there. If they could do it, it would be a and massive one. Arguably, JC, you'd be dragging old Commodore and Falcon sedan V8 buyers too into that yeah. market, right? Yeah, you know, Why maybe. not? It's, um, you know, we've seen the way that youths have sort of, uh, and SUVs for that matter, but have kind of replaced sedans as family cars. But if you had a, a nice V8-powered petrol you that was purely for road use and not much for off-roading. I think there, I don't know. I actually think there would be a queue for it. Well, it'd be good to know what our viewers and listeners think, whether they're in a Ute currently, whether they're pondering a Ute as their next purchase. What's driving that? Do they actually need it as a work truck? <laughs> or do they do they want it for some other reason? It'd be great to get your feedback. But for now, we will move to our own garage and the cars that the three of us have been driving in the week just gone by. And Tom, I want to kick it off with you. You've been in a Japanese car, one that has a bit of a cult following. Tell us what you've made of it. Yeah, so I was in the uh, Jimny Auto. Um, you know, they only sell it in two specs in Australia. You've got the, the manual and the auto, so it's not really that hard to uh, figure that out. Yep. Um, but, you know, I, I think it, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because it, you know, it has this iconic look and they've committed to it so much. But I think my angle into the review is going to be, uh, you know, is it sort of 
uh, nostalgic and committing to this purpose to a fault uh, because it is an urban review. So it's more like, you know, how does it com- compare when okay. you, you know, drive it around town? Yes. Um, and there are a whole bunch of like weird little things about it. Um, so all the switch gear on the inside is the same as a Swift, which I had a couple of weeks ago, which is kind of funny. Like, you know, you got a Swift steering okay. wheel and a Swift aircon unit that's just sort of been, you know, shoehorned into the dash and stuff, um, which is, you know, in one way it's kind of cool. And another way it kind of doesn't work. I think it could use kind of like a, its own sort of steering wheel and that sort of thing. But it, uh, there are it some weird things. Yeah. <laughs> There are some there are some weird things about it though. Like it, it, it there's no telescopic adjust for the steering. There's not much adjustability for the seats. There is no boot, or there is a boot if you get rid of the rear mm. seats. Um, sure, and sure. The materials in that boot area as well are kind of weird and um, scratchy and plastic. So if you put anything there, it just sort of slides around when you drive. And okay. because it's on that sort of ladder base, it does kind of really tilt in the corners. It's If you're spending, you know, whatever it is, $27,000 in that segment, you can get a much better car for the street, as it were. And right. the, go ahead, Chester. I'm, I'm raising my <laughs> hand here. So... Only because you mentioned it was an urban review. Now, that car won World Urban Car of the Year upon its debut, which to me absolutely boggles the mind. I I, I know I always sound like a Jimmy hater here, but I think it's cool, it's funky, it's unique, it's great to look at on the road, but my God, it's awful in the city. It is. It it simply is. It's a car that really isn't built for the suburbs. The fact that it won Urban Car of the Year blows my mind. And I'll tell you another thing. I reckon there would be... A fair percentage of, of people who rushed out to buy a chimney when the hype was all around it that might be looking at it now thinking, oh, God, what have I done? My, uh, my takeaway from it is it's, it's just, like, you know, my takeaway was it, it's like an MX-5. It's a lifestyle car and it, it's really a second vehicle. It's not something you'd have as your primary vehicle milling around the streets of Sydney, for example. I mean, uh, and when it comes to its urban practicality, you can kind of park it everywhere because it's tiny. But then you've got this weird issue where the power steering is almost non-existent if you're moving slowly. It's so weird. It's like it's really light at high speed, but then, you know, you, you go on a turn it into a parking spot and it's it's like going to the gym. You know, it's yes. wild. Yeah. Well, I mean, they've had to engineer genuine off-road ability into that vehicle. So if you're going to tip the scales um, such that that's achieved, you, you will pay a penalty elsewhere. So yeah. I, I take your point, Chesto. People may have dived in. That's so cute. Got to have one. It's small. It'll be great. You know, I'll drive it day to day. And that compromise is leaning so far in terms of its off-road performance. Um, yes, it may be wearing thin. Uh, oh. on, on people by this point. And, mate, if you're in the back seat driving over rough roads in the city, it's like you are the mole in a game of whack-a-mole, like constantly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah I've got to say, the one particular point is the uh, automatic transmission as well because, you know, we've tested a lot in manual and, you know, we've talked about yeah. how good it is in a manual and all the rest of it. But the auto is, it's so rudimentary and it really is something like from the early 90s, late 80s or something. It's got an overdrive button, which, you have to pray I, I, when i picked the car up the overdrive was off and i didn't realize so the moment i went on the expressway it's just making a racket and doing about four and a half thousand rpm and i'm going 80 and i was trying to figure out what was going on and i realized the overdrive was off and i went ah oh, that's there it a is. real throwback 
That is a real so, throwback and overdrive. Again, I, I'm not trying to I, I'm not trying to hammer the, the gym near here because I do think it's cool. It certainly serves a purpose and it does the most important thing, which is makes the road we drive on more interesting. It's not mm. just another beige SUV. But sure. just the thought of it as an urban car, I don't think that's what it was designed for, but it's what people have adopted it to. You know, we yeah. we we're trying to force it into this urban role. Where I just really as you rightly point out, Tom, there are more urban options out there, including from Suzuki. Well yeah, the and irony just- I was just going to say, really the irony is when it's in, in Japan, everything's urban. Like yeah, it's been right, made yeah. by a Japanese company. There's precious little opportunity to do much off-roading in Japan. That's right. And just really quickly, the last thing on that car, even though it sounds like I've kind of slammed it, I love driving it every single day. So, it, you know, subjectively, it's awesome. Okay, fantastic. See if you, now, see if you can get it for 12 months and we'll, we'll come back to this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Chesto, we'll move to yourself, South yes. Korea this time, and yes. it's a Kia. Tell us about it. It is. Now, I am in the Kia Seltos Sport Plus, uh, which comes in a variety of sort of configurations. Mine is the two-wheel drive, uh, so front-wheel drive, uh, CVT, two-liter gearbox. Um, look, I, I won't bore you with the way that it drives. We, we've done lots of reviews on it. Suffice to say, it, it, it drives really well. It's not a... Um, the CVT actually isn't all that intrusive. It's not until you really put your foot down that you even notice really that it is one. That's when, okay. like when it's really that's working, an that's achievement really for sure. Start yep. to notice that it's that it's uh, doing its CVT thing. But mm. the thing that blows me away around this car is I, I picked it up at the same time I picked up several other vehicles in that price bracket, and the Seltos for me was the one that exuded that sense of, of sort of quality and dare I say premiumness. There okay. is that. I know I know it sounds super cliche, but there is that like satisfying thud when you shut the rear door it doesn't feel like you're folding cardboard it feels like you're actually shutting something of of sort of of quality and value i think the dash layout's wonderful the aircon controls are all digitalized the 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 screen on the top can be so the the infotainment screen which is a word i hate can be split into two or three so you can have nav and music or whatever you want uh the way it pairs with your phone obviously apple carplay or android auto is displayed beautifully on the screen the steering is nice and heavy but there's uh still some feedback there it just it it just feels like a quality vehicle that's been produced really well uh, i gotta say I, i'm sold on the Celtos. i was when i drove it at the international launch in korea and i'm equally sold here in australia wow that is a ringing endorsement the, and uh kia telling me that they uh they and that sincerely that it because mostly the kias came out of one factory in south korea and gets sent all over the world uh so the only reason really that this Seltos isn't higher on the sales charts because they can't get any more. They, they have sold every single one they've got, which is uh, kind of a ringing endorsement from the consumer too, you'd have to say. Yes, yes. Sorry, I gotta Tom, go say, ahead. Yeah, i got to say that I haven't driven the Seltos yet. It's one of the few uh, like cars in that bracket that I haven't driven. But the difference between the GT line and the base model in terms of the way it looks is quite hilarious. Like there's a big yep. gap there in terms yep. of like you go from these massive wheels and really cool LED headlights and then – you get to the base model, it's got these tiny little steel wheels with plastic hubcaps and sort of dorky yep. halogens and stuff. It, it is quite funny, the model tiers, the difference between them. Yeah. Mate, agreed. And, I, and I'll tell you what, I'm just looking at it now. The, the price jumps from 26690 for the entry level up to 42690 for the highest model. So you, you're, wow. you're, not, That's a lot for you're not getting much change from 20 grand between the, those two trims mm. you referred to, Tom. So wow. the Sport Plus, I think, is a fairly happy medium. It's 33690 in the version that I've got. 
if you want the smarter 1.6 litre turbo engine and all wheel drive, it'll cost you 37,190. Yeah. Now, it has to be said that isn't chump change. So if you're spending, you know, the better part of 40 grand and getting a car that doesn't feel like it was produced in, with quality and, and sort of a sense of premiumness, then you're probably shopping in you the wrong brand. You'd stable, be you know? disappointed. Yeah. yeah. And Celtos to me sounds like some kind of condiment, whether it, yeah. should, it should be, you know, in the, in the spice rack or a, an antacid kind of mm. tablet. You know, yeah, I agree. I think I need to take a Celtos. Mm. I've, I've overdone it at dinner or something like that. Yeah, mate, put, a, put a bit of a ground Celtos in your stew, you know. Mate, this, sounds, this sounds awful, and I have made this joke before, but the first thing that came to my mind was a cream for something, for some sort of ration or unmentionables. You'd, you'd, you'd have to go to the pharmacist and say, look, just quietly, I need a tube of Celtos. Celtos. <laughs> moving on, moving on. I'll, um, I'll finish off the trio with uh, Hyundai Venue Active is the car that I've been driving this week. And, Chester, I know you had it as a long-termer um, yep, a very time, recently. Yeah. And, Tom, I handed the vehicle over to you. So for the last uh, couple of days, you've been in it as well, and you'll have it for the next week or so. So the Active is twenty-three, just under $24. Thousand uh, dollars Australian dollars yep. before you put it on the road. It's one up from the base, so the Go is the the base model. So it's it's one ladder, uh, one rung up the ladder. One point six liter Atmo petrol engine and a six speed auto um, in mm -hmm. this car. A towering ninety kilowatts and one hundred and fifty one newton meters of torque. But we'll get to the to talk a bit later. In my plus column, I had the fact that it's fitted with AEB, that it's quiet. I found it surprisingly quiet. You talked about quality. The, the way in which it's actually pieced together and the way it's finished off, particularly around the cabin, I thought was pretty impressive for an under $25,000 car. Um, it's spacious. The rear headroom, the nature of the design means that you've just got heaps of room in the back. Yeah, I had enough absolutely. leg room and plenty of headroom. The audio, I think it's a six-speaker audio. It's a pretty good audio system and it has Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. And they've been quite canny. Tom, you picked it. Um, they've got a leather, partially leather-trimmed wheel. So the touch point, you know, there is, is quite nice day-to-day -day when you get in and, and use the car. In the minus column, I had the fact that it is, in fact, sluggish. You know, the, the non-turbo nature of the engine, that torque, it's only 150-odd newton metres, and it's, the peak is 48.50 RPM. You're nearly at 5,000 RPM to get to the peak torque number. So you're really urging it along the whole time to get going. It's not very comfy, despite Hyundai's legendary local tuning, that torsion beam rear suspension means it's, it's fairly bouncy. I don't find it a particularly comfortable car. Despite the quality aspects, all the plastics inside the car are as hard as a rock, you know. My elbow was sore just from resting it on this yeah. piece of marble in the door um, without any padding on it. The lane-keeping assist is there. Great that it's there in that car, but it's super aggressive. So you find yourself just going towards a bend and, oh, shit, it's just about yeah. to pull the, um, the, hand, the wheel out of your hand. I turned this, it off pretty and, early, and I must admit. And things like no one-touch on the driver's uh, window, you kind of come to expect that. It's just a little bit of solder on a circuit board. Couldn't you just, you know, make that happen uh, for this car? It seems just a little bit on the cheap side. But overall, at a, a 24000 odd dollar car, I think the thing – the impression I was left with, it was quite quiet and nicely put together, but just those plastics inside the car made it feel pretty cheap. It, 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 wasn't, uh, it wasn't a good look or feel for mine. 
JC, for, for mine, I, I found, uh, tell me if you agree with this, I, I thought the cabin was nice and quiet in the city, but it does tend to lose a bit of that charm when you take it on the, and it's look, it's, okay. it's a city car, let's be honest, but yeah. just the way that gearbox tries to squeeze power out of that tiny engine on a freeway means it's always sort of changing between gears, and that All does right. sort of break the cabin ambience a little bit on the freeway. But one of the things I liked about it, I must admit, was it, to me it felt a little bit like the Toyota CHR, in that, mm. yes, it, the, the, the suspension tuning might not be its most comfortable, but it felt, for mine, it felt surprisingly sorted on the right bit of road. It okay. didn't feel like it, it, you know, it felt like it was verging towards being something approaching a driver's car just without the engine to back it up. Like, it, to me, it, it, it drove around corners far better than A, I expected it to, and B, that it probably needs to for a car in that bracket. So, All right. um, well, that's and, good. And for, that's good. For that, I'd give uh, Hyundai's ride and handling guys a wrap, probably, because I, I imagine it there behind that that part of it. Okay. Well, I, w yeah. I wasn't putting it into that environment. I just found it around the bumps and thumps that you inevitably find in the you know suburbs in the city uh, to be a little more jarring than you'd like them to be. Yeah. And also, no proximity unlock. That that for me, I, I've said this before. I know it's a cheap car. But man, that kills me. Uh, still kills me approaching with with uh, 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 shopping or whatever and digging around for a key to try and open uh, yes. to try and unlock the door. You know, uh, uh, proximity unlocks a deal breaker for me now. I've decided. I quite like the look of the thing. Uh, I like how it's got that big face and it's like this kind of little car with this kind of big heart. You know, <laughs> yeah, like yep. it's trying to be. It's trying to be this big, brave thing with this massive look, and it's got these tiny little alloy wheels that are hilarious. I, I, well, I just they love are. the They're whole tiny package. wheels, little fifteens, and <laughs> and uh, just to show how subject subjective all that is, Tom, my significant other walked towards the car and went, "Oh well, that's a bit embarrassing, isn't it?" <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, not a fan there. So Mate, you, I had a you, similar you, reaction to Chateau Chesto. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, well, I, it's funny because I talked to a friend of mine, and uh, like I, I, I quite liked it when it came came out, and I, I like it now that I've had a chance to drive it and everything. And a, a friend of mine went and t a test drove one, um, and he and he said, "Oh, I just I just didn't like it." And I thought, oh, "How how can we have such differing opinions on this?" But there you go. It turns out it's a it's device. The way it goes. It's the way it goes. Can, can I raise one more point before we move off this topic? And and it, it is about the venue, but in fact, it's about all cheap cars, and that is just how much. Programs like Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, oh. Auto have revolutionized the cheap car experience. Back, you know, you remember this, JC, I'm sure you do as well, Tom. Back in the day, you used to have to spend a fortune for a half decent stereo. If you wanted yeah. navigation, that could be two or two and a half grand, and it was yeah. always ordinary. It never worked. Now you sure. can buy the cheapest car in a brand stable, plug your phone in, and have access and there to apps, podcasts, Spotify. Well, it's I mean, true. That, to, that to me has totally revolutionized the cheap car space. Well, to, I, my recollection is that 2010 sat nav was pretty exotic. You know, that, yeah. that, was a, that was a big inclusion. So only a decade ago, that was a big yeah. deal. And now Absolutely. it's like cost of entry. Um, and you can bang a you, little screen in there for cheapest chips and away you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, it, it shows how spoiled we are um, yeah. <laughs> and how quickly we come to assume a new base level and then right. have a whinge about things that aren't uh, above it. Um, now, speaking of having a whinge, it's time for Musk Watch. So first of all, the dear leader has been hacked his Twitter account has been hacked. And I've noticed over time there have been very close accounts. It's used his uh, hero picture from Twitter and it's said Elon Musk, but the actual handle will be slightly different. And it's people trying to encourage you into a cryptocurrency kind of scheme or whatever. 
but this time it was absolutely his account. And, and he, uh, his account said, I'm feeling generous because of COVID-19. Uh, I'll double any Bitcoin payment sent to my Bitcoin address. Good luck and stay safe out there. <laughs> and then listed a Bitcoin address. Right? And uh, this happened to the likes of Joe Biden and Bill Gates, Barack Obama, Apple, Uber, Jeff Bezos, Kanye West, Mike Bloomberg. This was a pretty big scam and they'd found a way inside these people's Twitter accounts. And pu public blockchain records show that it raked in about 100 grand from these, these different kind of accounts that had been hacked. Enough people went, that's a good deal, and oh, sent no. $1,000 uh, worth of Bitcoin for them to get 100 grand. But uh, anyway, all things sad. back to normal. And when his Twitter, Twitter account had come back online and to normalcy, such as it is, um, Elon <laughs> tweeted a beautiful render of the upcoming Gigafactory in Berlin, and viewers on YouTube will be able to see it. It is quite magnificent. If it ends up being anything like that, um, it'll be spectacular. Um, but then Guave Suave uh, came back with a comment and had a picture of the building site as it is right now because the thing's in construction, saying, reality, deforestation and destroying environment at its best. So had a, had a big dig at um, the person who's saving the planet by creating this enormous factory. Um, Jens Esbol said, that building on the side, is that the Hulk's room? Which I thought was, was pretty good. And Schloster said, where does the tent go? Uh, making reference, of course, to some production uh, foibles at Fremont, where the wedding marquee went up next to the, yeah. the main factory. So it's a great point. Where will the wedding marquee go? But then, sticking with Germany as a theme... Tesla Autopilot has been deemed deceptive to consumers in Germany. Yeah. So it's a conversation we and others have had ad nauseum about whether Absolutely. or not that term is deliberately misleading about mm -hmm. what it might deliver. Um, so Germany's become the first country to ban Tesla's Autopilot and full self-driving labels, with both viewed as misleadingly and misleadingly prohibited and uh, providing false promises to customers. So now in Germany, henceforth, it will be called auto drive rather than autopilot, Even kind that, of va variation on a theme. Even that's too close. It so is. Just for the record, according to the Cambridge Dictionary, the very definition of the term autopilot is a device that keeps aircraft, spacecraft, and ships moving in a particular direction without human involvement. So yes. that is not, that. unfortunately that's, Oh, I guess I guess there's an argument that is what. See, the, the thing is, you had a person uh, on Twitter called Whole Mars Catalog, saying Evan noticed how planes have autopilot, but they still have two human pilots. So he's mm. making the point that autopilot yeah. has never been the thing that people perceive it to be. That it's it's a tool. However, we're talking about reality versus perception. That's right. And the perception yeah. in the broader populace is that autopilot is your hands off level five autonomy. Yep. Where Tesla is right now is about high level two, you know, yep. lane keep and your um, uh, active crews and, and those things to keep you on track and yep. a little bit more. So high level two. So to, to set that expectation, full self-driving, that's pretty clear. So Germany has finally said, no, nah, time out yep. on that. We're not going to let you get away with it. So, but so in JC, there sorry, there, there, no, there is ahead. a reason. Put it this way. There is a reason that almost every other car company on the planet calls it an assist 
and not an autopilot, uh, yeah. i.e. it's supposed to assist your driving, not yes. replace it. Tesla was but the I, only one who went out on that limb. I thought the topper was when the dear leader came in on the back of Holmar's Cadillac's comment and said, yeah, Tesla autopilot was literally named after the term used in aviation. Also, what about autobahn? Like, auto, auto in autobahn is not referring to an automatic hands-off road. It's actually referring to a car. So um, I thought that was just staggering. On the face of it, that is a really silly comment. But uh, anyway, what's not silly, what's not silly is the share price. This share price climb is seemingly never-ending. It's at more than $1,500 a share now, $1,546.01. And it was $1,365 last week. Now, on Monday, it was at $1,764. So it's actually come off its high from the week. And it's interesting. I found two stories, both from the same outlet, Markets Insider, and you had one that was referencing Piper Sandler, which is an investment bank in the US, and they're predicting another 55% jump to $2,322 um, in uh, the relatively near term because of first mover advantage. They see Tesla as still being the leader in the EV space and software potential, so where they can go with self-driving and autonomy and all of that stuff. And that's a, a sentiment that is around right across the kind of stock market in the US. J JC, They're seeing that as a big deal. I agree with those two points. They, they, they are still a, a market leader, I think, uh, in both EV and, and, uh, and software. But what kind of annoys me a little bit about the stock market, I must admit, maybe it's just because I'm poor, is that often when people say, oh, we predict this will go to $2,100 you know, $2, a share, often it goes to $2,100 a share because of that prediction. Self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. yeah. So, of course, it goes up actually as people jump on board, you know, yes. which is the same you reason why when Elon himself said we're overpriced, it went, Ooh. You bet. You bet. It's so true. And in the same, on the same site, you had a piece crediting comments from Bob Lutz, who uh, many of our listeners will know, is a long-time kind of automotive industry veteran, really. He's been at Ford and Chrysler um, and GM in super senior positions in each of those companies. And he's kind of pointing that the emperor is wearing no clothes, as a lot of people are saying. How can this company that produces 300,000 cars a year be the most valuable in the world by its market capitalization? He mm -hmm. says, quote, the fact that Tesla is worth more than Fiat, Chrysler, General Motors and Ford combined uh, is worth more than Volkswagen and Toyota, has nothing to do with reality. Yeah. Um, and he's right, of course. Tesla stocks exploded over 250% since the start of 2020. So anyone that was around for the 90s you know, tech bubble, it has echoes of that for me, that there are people jumping in because this is just a stairway to financial heaven. And yeah. uh, it, everybody's kind of on the edge of their seat, like, is this real? Is this the start of something mm. new and different? Or is this going to go bang and blow up in, in people's faces? Mate, so, it reeks of, it reeks of uh, Bitcoin to me. When everyone jumped on well, the Bitcoin bear. The bear. only thing is, the thing about the, the tech bubble was that it was based on pretty much nothing. There would yeah. be ideas that seemed like this is going to go in a big way and people would pile in and invest and there was nothing actually there. Tesla is producing cars, producing yep. batteries, producing power systems, um, roofing tiles, all of those things. There are some fundamentals. But what a guy like Lutz is saying is you're building barely any cars and yet you're the most valuable mm. car company in the world. Yeah. 
how on earth can this add up? You know, it just doesn't. The potential isn't that great. And, mate, I, I know it always feels like we're death riding uh, Tesla, and, I, and I, I promise that we're not. But like most car companies at the moment, they are not often profitable either. It's not as though yeah. they're, they're making money hand over fist. The reality is most car companies aren't at the moment, and Tesla's one of them. I think I think you could count the profitable quarters on one hand, really, since yeah. their inception. And I think, it, I think it's a bit late to still continue to call them a startup. You know, they're, they're yeah, an established yeah. uh, company now, so you get that startup bleeding cash. You have to invest, invest, invest. I reckon they're at a point now, like 15 years down the track, where that's probably not the language you need to use to talk about the Tesla as a car maker. At some point, you demand a return, don't you? So, uh, yeah, we'll have to, I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens there. They may uh, be I, in- think there, I think there are two elements to this. It's One of them is that Tesla has a real advantage, like talking on the software side, that they've collected so much data and that's actually really valuable so i think there's some inherent value in the in the data they've collected in the way that we're heading with things like autopilot and battery technology sure but then there's this whole thing of like yes they don't have the infrastructure really to support it to support the car industry that everything is take and not give you know you see how many cars around the world use volkswagen parts how many cars around the world use ford parts how many cars around the world use toyota parts and you don't really see cars around the world using tesla parts do you no no No. that's true that's true but uh, anyway it is fascinating to sit on the sidelines and and watch uh, that roller coaster ride but um, uh, well, uh, with... one thing is absolutely certain: I do regret not buying shares at the beginning of. I oh, know. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, with that, we have reached uh, the finish line. I want to say thank you, Tom. Thank and you. Thank you, Chesto. Thank you, Jason. And thanks to our director of light bulb moments, bride kidnapping expert, and professional sleeper, Mr. Pritchard. A technical tour de force, as always. Thank you, Matt. Today, he's in a T-shirt saying. And the Lord said unto John, come forth and receive eternal life. But John came fifth and won a toaster. He's also wearing (laughs) medieval jester pants and faux fur lace-up Oxfords, which is an amazing ensemble. Please pass on the word about the podcast and let us know your thoughts by searching for Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram using the hashtag CGPodcast or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. If you're an Apple podcast listener, please rate and review us. And remember, you can watch us on YouTube. But before we go, I overheard old Uncle Arthur speaking to Artie Elsie this week, saying, what's all this about speeding drivers racking up points? If anything, we should be punishing them. (laughs) What are you best, JC? (laughs) Oh, goodness. Thanks, Uncle Arthur.